I love my brother JP Rios, and I love their faith, and I know that this is a time in their lives. They're going through a trial, a storm, and they are standing on the promise of God that when it doesn't look like there's any way, God is making a way. Uh, if you know them, then you'll know that Cynthia was a school administrator and started to get symptoms in her body. She, she just started shutting down. She had rashes, extreme fatigue, had to go to the hospital, was literally on her bed for over a month. And she's starting to show signs of health, but it has been traumatic for this family. And they have been in the hospital. We haven't seen JP. We've said, hey, take care of your wife and be with her. So he hasn't been at GFC Espanol. He's the lead pastor for our Espanol church. And we're just been, we've just been praying with them. And I want us to pray together for them. And not just pray, but to demonstrate our love for this family. And uh, so when I originally just saw that today, he was sharing the video of the promise of God for their family. And knowing today the topic is God will heal, I just thought, man, well, let's just pray for Cynthia as a church family and then go beyond our prayers and have a moment of generosity. And so uh, I, I don't know if we've ever done this, but I just want to give you an opportunity to give a love offering and just bless that family with any cash or if you have a gift card that might be to a grocery store or to a restaurant that you could just put. We're just going to put everything in an envelope and, and bless them this afternoon. Would that be okay for us to do that? So ushers, I know it's a kind of a, a quick turnaround, but let's lift up our voices and pray together for Cynthia Rios. Lord, we love the Rios family. We love their boys, their daughter, and God, we lift her up before you right now. We just pray for physical healing. Let it be a supernatural miracle. As she's in the hospital right now, Maybe they're watching online, God. We just pray that they would be overwhelmed by your presence and that they would know that they're not alone, that they have church family. And I pray for healing, God, healing in her mind, healing in her body. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you as you give. Do you believe that Jesus really is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you believe that? Say amen. amen. So if that's true, then when it comes to healing, can we believe that Jesus, we know that he healed, right? Time and time again, the miracles in the New Testament, that Jesus healed in times past. If you believe that, say amen. amen. If you believe that Jesus heals today, say amen. If you have faith that Jesus will heal in the future, say amen. amen. So if you're here today and you need healing, this is a good day for you, whether it be healing in your mind, healing in your body, maybe healing in your finances, healing in your marriage, or healing even in our land. How many of you can look around our country and go, we are in deep need of healing? Some of you are like, nah, we live in the best country in the world. We're okay. Well, I would say let's, uh, let's face the brutal facts that we live in a broken country. We really do, don't we? Since the year I was born, 1973, over 60 million babies have been murdered. Every 10 seconds, a child is abused. 43% of our kiddos in our country are growing up in a home that dad is not present at home. 16,000 people were murdered in our country last year. 
Church decline over the last 20 years has been 20%. We are closing more churches in our country than we are opening. And so we have to look around and go, we live in a broken world. So what do we do when we have lost our moral compass? What do we do as a country, as, as a people of God, when we seem to have forgotten the values that our country was founded upon? What is the solution? What is the hope? What is the promise of God? I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I'm so excited that you're here for our series called Promises of God. Are you enjoying the, the series so far? Do you have a promise of God that you are holding on to? Why is this series so important? Why are we giving such, such a priority to God's word and the promises of God? This is why we need to lean into the promises of God. Because when you stand on the promises of God, you won't fall on the lies of the enemy. All right, I'm going to say that again. If you stand on the promises of God, then you won't fall on the lies of the enemy. Because the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the father of lies. And he wants to wreck your thought life. He wants to wreck your life. And God wants to bring healing. He wants to bring restoration, love, reconciliation, redemption to your life. we got to believe that. So in the Old Testament, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, you might have observed and saw, all right, they were a trap. The, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, were, were like in this vicious cycle, right? At one point, you'll see them like honoring the Lord. They're, they're obeying the Ten Commandments. And then they just start hardening their hearts. They, they get jealous of the other countries. They begin to worship idols. And as a result, God judges them. And then he removes his hand of protection and blessing and favor from their lives. And then there's war. And then they are led as captives out of their country as exiles, right? And then they humble themselves. They cry out to God. They pray. And then God hears them and forgives them. And we see that happen over and over. So in 2 Chronicles 7, this is a moment that they're turning back to God. And King Solomon is leading them in this, and he begins to pray earnestly in the temple, and he asks God for forgiveness. He begins to ask God to make his, God's face shine upon them again like in times past, like in the time of his father. And so in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Can you imagine what that would be like to come to church and the presence of God is just, we can't even, we're just so caught up that the presence of God is so real, so tangible. It says, when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. If you believe this to be true, I want you to look at a friend next to you and say, God is good. Come on, look over to the other side of you and say, God's mercy endures forever. 
And then how, how, what was the response? How did God respond to that moment? In verse 12, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. Are you grateful that God listens and answers your prayers? It says, And if she have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. And then verse 14, this is the conditional promise, all right? It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I want to say, some of you have memorized this verse. If you haven't, this is a good one to memorize. But let's say out loud this promise together. Can we say it or read it out loud again? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. This was a promise for Israel back then, but it's a promise for us today. So who is this promise for? Is it for the world? No, it's for a people who are called by the name of God. Are you called by the name of God? Absolutely. If you are a follower of God, if you are a child of God, we are a church of God. So this word, this promise is for us. He's not talking about sinners in the world. He's talking to the church. He's talking to his own chosen people. It starts with us. If your family, if you've got children that are no longer walking with God and you've been praying for your prodigal children, your grandchildren to return to the Lord... Instead of getting frustrated by them, let it start with you, all right? If you're going to see a, a, a turnaround in your family, it starts with you. If we're going to see a turnaround in our country, if we're going to see a true spiritual awakening in our city, a true revival in our country, it's going to start with the house of God. It's going to start with the family of God who's desperate and obeys the command of God, this promise. God has done his part. What is our part? Scripture is very clear of how we should respond if we really want forgiveness and healing in our land. And so what is the first thing that we're called to do, according to Scripture? To humble ourselves. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Can we just step back in a moment and say, hey, I don't have all the answers, <laughs> right? Guys, it's easy for us to be tempted to say... I want to be in control, right? There's that temptation all the time that I've got to act like I've got it together. I've got to be in control, control of my life, control of my body, control of our finances. I need to control everything. And that's, that's fueled by pride because we're more dependent upon ourselves than we're dependent upon the Lord. And so we should humble ourselves. That's why when we come into God's presence, like bowing is a lost art of worship, a practice, because when we bow outwardly on our faces, we see that, right? That's what they did. It says they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement. They were humbling themselves. The outer posture of their heart or their bodies, was, it was influencing. It was a reflection of what was going on on the inside. And so we control to God.
C.S. Lewis said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's having a higher view of God and a lower view of ourselves. In, in other words, we've got our thoughts about God are high, and our, our thoughts about ourselves aren't as high, right? It must be in that sequence, in that order. John the Baptist, when he be, was, was ministering and he was proclaiming the good news and preaching a gospel of repentance to the Lord, right? He, he wore a camel's skin, and he would wear this camel skin just like the only time we see it in the Bible was Elijah in the Old Testament. And they literally would wear this camel skin inside out. So the, the hide would be on the outside and then the, the, the bristling of the hair, the camel's hair, would constantly rub against his skin to remind him of the calling to call God, the people to repentance, to turn from their sin and to turn to God. And so it was during this time that he was proclaiming this good news and people were turning from their sin to turn to God and he was baptizing people in the, the river, the Jordan River, and the crowds were vast and he had a lot of disciples and then Jesus came on the scene, right? And some of his own disciples came to John and said, hey, John, there's somebody baptizing people and they're going to Jesus instead of you. This is like our thing. Your name, John the Baptist, is what we do. And he's baptizing. What are you going to do about it? Do you remember John's response in John chapter 3? He said this. He said, hey, I'm just a groomsman. I'm just a, a best man. He's the groom. I'm just grateful to be here, right? And then he said these words. You can't forget these words. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. I must decrease. I must give up all desire for my ego to be pumped, all desire to get the credit, all desire for success that can go to my head. I must give it away. I must relinquish it. I must surrender it. That's why Galatians 2, it says to crucify the flesh. We must empty ourselves out and say, God, I don't, I don't want anything that would rob you of your glory. And that's why Jesus, he said, I, I don't want to do anything on my own accord. I only do what my father tells me to do. I only do what my father tells me to say. And then Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is a blessing, a grace, and a favor that God will trust on those who have a broken and contrite spirit, on those who are humble before him. In 1 Peter, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he will lift you up, that the God inside of you will be lifted up, but we must walk in humility before the Lord. And this is why worshiping God is so important. When you truly worship the Lord beyond your lips, but you honoring him with your heart, then your thoughts about who the Lord goes up, and then we forget about ourselves, right? In that moment of true worship, isn't that what's happening? That our faith is increased, that we're, we're grateful to be in the presence of the Lord? I, I'm concerned that in, in the church today, worship has become so trendy that we have compartmentalized it to our favorite new worship songs on Spotify, that we will spend big money for tickets 
When a famous worship band from another church travels to a city and and we'll go and we'll want to watch, and there's nothing wrong with that and by itself, but if all we're doing is wanting to be entertained and and watch or listen, worship is so much more than that. Romans 12 verse 1 says, this is your act of worship, that you would offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Worship is a lifestyle Jesus says, true worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. That there is a match of integrity. Yes, there is a zeal and a passion for the Lord, but there's also an integrity about this. There's a worship that comes from the heart of God, heart towards God. The Bible says in Psalms to enter his courts, courts with thanksgiving and, and his gates with praise. Like we, we should enter the presence of the Lord with thanksgiving. A good way to to have a high view of the Lord and to humble yourself is to remember what God has done in our lives. Some of you are in great need of healing and you're in a storm or you're facing a trial. And all you can think about is yourself and your problem and you just meditate on that and you just begin to worry and it's creating anxiety and fear. But what if you got into the presence of the Lord and, and you started your worship time but just remembering God's faithfulness? Isn't that what worship is? It's remembering who God is and what he has done. And so when you remember what God has done in Scripture and then the miracles of the past, remember how God's promises got you through a difficult time before, what happens? You're going to have a faith that increases, but you're also going to be grateful. And we need to be thankful for what God has done. And so I encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit. I'm 50 years old now. My memory's not as good as it used to be. And so I need to rely on the Holy Spirit to remember, to help me remember all the times that God has been faithful in the past. Because when we remember what God has done in the past, it's going to increase our faith. It's going to make us more humble. It's like God got me out of the mess. I didn't get out of the mess on my own. And so worship is important. So we humble ourselves. First, if we really want healing, we will humble ourselves. Second, what does the word of God say? To pray and seek God's face. Seek God's face. How many of you remember playing the game hide and go seek when you were a kid? It's like it transcends time, right? How many of you have kids right now that are at home and they love playing hide and go seek with you at home? Anybody raise your hand. Like your kids love playing hide and go seek. There's something about it, right? I can remember when my kids were real little and, and we would do that. We would do that weekly and and we'd hide behind the curtains, and they're young, and they're counting, and they're not supposed to look, but half the time they're looking, right? And you see the smile of joy, and they're just that curiosity, and they can't wait to find you. And, and they love, there's so much joy when they find you. And, and uh, you know, my kids are PKs. They're, they're, they're preacher kids. And sometimes that comes with a little bit of pressure. And, uh, but there's also some good perks about being a preacher's kids. Because our hiding seat games were not just, um, we, we didn't just play at home. We got to come to the church when no one else was here. <laughs> 50,000 square feet of just their playground. And so when we would come here and the, dark, the lights were a little bit dark and, and we would count to 50 and everybody got to go hide. But when the kids were like trying to find mom and dad, you know, when they got a little bit older, we wanted to make it harder. Like, but when it was more challenging and it took more time, it made the victory of finding dad like that much better, right? 
what would it be like when we come to the house of God? Then I hope that we are longing more than just a breakfast taco, but that we long to be in the presence of the Lord. That yes, it's good to see each other as the family of God, but may we not find more joy and seeing each other's face than we do seeking the face of God. May there truly be a hunger and thirst for his righteousness, for the presence of the Lord. May we seek him, not just to get a healing, but to just trust him to be in his presence, to trust whatever he wants to do, we're good with it, and we can have peace in that, amen? We're seeking healing. And sometimes that healing may not come in the time that we think it'll come or the way that we think it'll come. God may supernatural heal you, and that's good. Or he may heal you through the doctors or medicine. But healing will come whether it be in this life or the next one. And we can trust in him that if we carry a thorn in our flesh or we have to have a burden a little bit longer, that God's doing a work in our life, that his grace really is enough and that we can trust in him. Amen? But let's be men and women who pray. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, but when, but you, when you pray. Notice he didn't say if you pray, right? But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. God loves the secret prayers. The secret places, may you abide with the Lord. May you have conversation with, with him so when you get to heaven one day, it doesn't feel like you're talking to a stranger, but rather you're having conversations with the Lord. You're pouring out what's on your heart, but you're listening to what is on his. You can trust him. What do you need today? Do you need guidance? Do you need a healing? Do you need wisdom? Then ask. Ask in faith. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the doors will be open to you. This is the promise of the Lord. Pray for yourself, but also that supplication, but praying on behalf of others is called intercession. We should carry each other's burdens. We should pray for each other when we have opportunity, like we're going to here in a few minutes or when we're in our small group. But let's be men and women who pray. If we want healing in our family, healing in our land, let's pray for each other. Have spontaneous prayers. When you hear a request, whether you're at church or a small group or in the aisle at HEB, I want to empower you and encourage you just to stop where you're at and begin to pray and call out to God. Just put yourself out there and pray. Let's be men and women who are, who are full of faith that we know how to pray. Amen? I encourage you moms and dads to pray for your children. Grandparents, pray for your, your grandkids. We did this when our children were very young. Before they'd go to sleep at night, we would pray. And I would lay hands on their little heads, and I would pray and encourage and, and prophesy over my children. No matter how difficult a challenge would be, we would pray. I remember when my daughter was in the second grade at Holotus Elementary, and we got the call from our teacher that we needed to have a, a parent-teacher conference and had no idea what it would be like be about. And, and the teacher said that she wanted to test Emma for dyslexia. She was concerned that she was getting her words and her numbers jumbled and she was uh, having a hard time keeping up and that perhaps she would need to be, um, go to some special classes. And, and we knew she was struggling in her academics, but um, 
we didn't shrink back. We didn't want this to be part of her identity. So we began to pray. <laughs> and not only pray, but just kind of minister in the opposite spirit and really lean into the spiritual things in the Lord. And so before school, we would open up the Proverbs and we would read a proverb together and we would ask her what she's comprehending and learning. And, and this followed her all the days of her life. I remember being when she was in college and she would come home one day a week and she would, the first thing she would do is open up her Bible and spend time with the Lord. I remember during finals weeks that when she probably should just be studying her books, she would open up faith-building books and Christian biographies, and, and she was honoring and prioritizing the Lord. And we got to see how what she became intentional about and trusting the Lord that she not only survived but th thrived. Because last night at 9.23 p.m., we got to watch our daughter Emma walk the stage at the Alamo Dome and graduate with her degree, cum laude, with honors. And I say this because, man, we're, in this life, we're going to face trials. Moms and dads, your children may have a physical issue or a mental issue or, or some kind of trial. But don't give up. Don't, don't let the, your child see you just worry and be stress-filled or panic-driven. But let your children see you be men and women who are full of faith that you may not have the answers here on earth, but you know the one who has the answers. And you can call out to God, and you have confidence that he will heal you, and he will heal you and heal your children. Amen? So we first humble ourselves. The second thing we do is we pray and seek his face. And then the third step is that we turn from our wicked ways. We repent. This is when it gets tough, right? This is tough because the church likes to point out the sins in the world. We like to protest. Too many want to protest the sins in the world and overlook or tolerate the sins in the church. Greed, gossip, gluttony. We'll skip over those because we want to protest the sins that are more visible. But the reality is this command, if we want to see healing, He's not saying the sinners need to repent. He's saying, if my people who are called by my name will repent, turn from their sin and turn to God. That promise in, in Romans 12 about offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, it says, don't be transformed by the cultures of the world. Don't conform to those, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That comes from the Greek word metanoia, to change your mind, to change your behavior, whatever doesn't please God, whatever area of your life you've not surrendered to the Lord that needs to be cleansed, that needs to be confessed, may you do that. And the Bible is very clear that if you will do this, if you will humble yourselves and pray and turn from your wicked ways, then God would hear from heaven and forgive your sins and heal your land. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah chapter 53 is a prophetic word about Jesus, about him being our healer. It says, yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. 
punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds by the stripes of Jesus on his back at the cross we can find healing so what is it that you need God to heal today is it your body is it your mind is it a relationship your marriage our country needs healing and scripture is very clear on what we should do. We should humble ourselves and cry out to God. Seek his face in his presence. Turn from our wicked ways. Then God will heal our land. He will forgive our sins. Would you please stand to your feet? I'm going to ask our pastors, small group leaders, house leaders, would you please come forward? and make yourselves available to pray. If you're here today and some of you would say, you know what, I'm spiritually sick. I've been going my own way. My heart is hardened, but I'm here in the presence of God and I feel the Holy Spirit drawing me to himself. He's convicting me of my sin and I need to turn to him. And so as we begin to pray and worship the Lord and spend time in his presence, I want to invite you to come forward. Maybe you just say, hey, I'm spiritually sick. I need God in my life. I need to trust him and surrender. Some of you need real healing in your life. You need deliverance. You're struggling. You're in pain. I believe that Lord is, gonna, is going to start a season where he's healing. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see miracles in our lives, and our bodies, but in our church. I really believe that. So may we have enough faith to trust the Lord. Sometimes we have not is because we ask not. You know what keeps us from being vulnerable and trusting the Lord or trusting each other? It's pride. And so it's pride that's going to want to keep you where you're standing. Say, I'm going to figure it out my own. I don't want to make myself crucify the flesh, all right? I want to encourage you as a, as a brother, as a friend, to please come forward and be vulnerable and just share whatever the need is, whatever you need help from the Lord. Wherever there is sickness or pain, would you come forward and let's have faith that God will bring healing. Father, we come before you. We're thankful, Lord, that we are in your presence. This is a house of prayer, and so we come to you. and we, we wait upon you. We worship you. We humble ourselves. May we be dependent upon you, Lord. And I pray that the faith in this room would be lifted, that we would confess where we are struggling, confess where there is sickness. And I pray, oh Lord, that as we agree together and we pray, I know and I'm confident that you would hear us.